This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. Ten years ago, I was living on Long Island after um, resigning on good terms from Three Village Church in Setauket, New York, wondering what to do with my life, wondering what the next stage would be. I was cutting deli meat at a New York deli, and it was a good time, but I didn't want to do that the rest of my life, so I was trying to figure out what to do, and people kept saying, you got to meet Chris Kelly. you got to meet Chris Kelly. Get together with Chris Kelly. Talk to Chris Kelly. I thought, who is Chris Kelly? Well, I find out Chris Kelly is uh, a beekeeper that lives out on the east end of Long Island. And once so I called up Chris Kelly. I said, hey, I'm Matt Woodley, and I, I'm just supposed to talk to you. I'm supposed to meet to you. I'm supposed to meet you. And he uh, immediately nicknamed, nicknamed me Woodman. He said, Woodman, we're starting a new Bible study out on the east end of Long Island. It's going to be great. It's going to change your life. You should come. He said, but you know what? It's going to be really hard. It's going to be six months long. We're going to meet every Tuesday night for three hours. There's going to be homework to do every week. And if you don't show up one week without a note from a doctor, you're out of the group. And I like scoffed. I'm like, I'm a senior pastor. I was the senior pastor of Three Village Church on Long Island. I don't join small groups, I start small groups, which is why I was cutting deli meat. Um, Just kidding. Chris said, it's going to be harder than you ever imagined. So I signed up, and I started going to this small group, five guys, and Chris Kelly, the beekeeper from the east end of Long Island. And you know what? It was really hard. Show up every Tuesday night, three hours during the winter. There was no heat in this house. There was barely light or electricity in this house. It was this rundown house. There was no furniture. So we sat on these rickety wooden chairs for three hours. We did the homework. We showed up every week. You might think I was miserable. It was the best small group experience of my entire life. And you know what made it great? It was Chris Kelly. Chris Kelly was just this direct blunt, no-nonsense guy with a degree from entomology from Cornell. And he said, you guys, you got to put all chips in. Everybody's got to be all chips in, which I guess is a gambling term, you know. And he's like, I'm putting all my chips in for you. I'm putting all my chips in for you guys. You got to put all your chips in for me and for the Lord. And you know, we did. All of us did. Not because we had to, not because we were under pressure, but we wanted to because of Chris Kelly. There's a little window. It's a picture of our relationship with Jesus, the way it's supposed to be like. Jesus asks us to do some really hard things. And like Chris Kelly, he's really direct. He's really blunt. He's really straightforward. He lays it out there. But he doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just ask us to do hard things. He says, and this is the whole Christian life, I want you to do hard things with me and in me and through me and because I'm in you and because you're in me, because of your union with me. So the Christian life is always this, here's where the Christian life takes place. Here's where your Christian life takes place. Here's where mine takes place. It's at the intersection between Jesus telling us how to live, sometimes it's really hard, sometimes it's really uncomfortable, and his presence and power and love and our union with him, and it's where those two things intersect 
That's where you live your Christian life every day. That's where you live it out, at that intersection. And that's what we see in this gospel reading that you heard read from the Gospel of Mark. Just a little context. So up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been crushing it. He's been healing the sick. He's been calling sinners. He's been feeding 5,000. He's been working miracles. Everybody's impressed. This crowd, this momentum is starting to build. He's crushing it. And then we get to this point, and Jesus starts talking about suffering and death, and he starts talking about bearing a cross, and he starts talking about that anybody that follows him is going to experience the same thing. And it's really hard, and the disciples have a really hard time with it. Now, Jesus said a lot of hard things about a lot of subjects, sex, money, power, forgiveness, being a servant, giving up your life, losing your life, heaven, hell. I want to just focus on three hard things that Jesus said. That'll be enough for today. Three hard things. And they're actually the three hard things that Jesus mentions in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 8, verse 34. He said this. He calls the, notice he calls the crowd to him with his disciples. So he's, this is a message for everybody. It's not just the inner circle. It's not just the elite. It's not just super disciples. This is just ordinary Christianity. And he says this, if anyone would come after me, three things. Number one, let him deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. Just compressed into one sentence, three hard things. I want to just look at each one of them. Like little bullet points. Deny yourself. What does that mean? Well, first, let's just all admit there's a really unhealthy version of self-denial that has sometimes been practiced throughout centuries of Christian spirituality. A very unhealthy kind of self-denial that's all about sort of denying out of emptiness or sort of denying your humanity or denying your limits or denying that you have any needs or denying that you have emotions or denying self-denial and going back into like an abusive situation. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Probably the best way to put it is this, is that the healthy version is that out of, it's, it's out of a life full with the love of Jesus, and that's what I'll get to in the end. But, but, but here's how it works. Oftentimes in our life, and, and sometimes even every day, there, there seems to be our, our roads, our paths potentially diverge, me and Jesus, you and Jesus. And, and I want to go this way, and Jesus is asking me to go this way. And that's at the point where I have to decide, am I going to deny myself, deny what I want, deny going on the path I want, or am I going to go on the path Jesus wants? Let me give you some examples. Let's say, for instance, you you face conflict. Someone has hurt you. Someone's wounded you. Somebody said something that's, that's really offended you. Or perhaps somebody is just hurting other people. Now, the Bible gives some really explicit ways about dealing with conflict, but we tend to either like overreact and just blast people or we just sort of pretend and then we don't confront it at all. The scripture says confront it with gentleness, but confront it. Be direct, but be gentle. So which path are you going to choose? Here's another example. <clears throat> Let's say you're attracted to somebody, sexually attracted to somebody that's not your spouse. You got two paths in front of you. Maybe it's, maybe it's an image of somebody. Maybe it's something on a screen. Maybe it's a website. Maybe it's a fantasy. 
Maybe it's a real person right in front of you. You know what Jesus says about that. You know what the Bible says about that. It's, it's pretty clear. Which path are you going to choose? Self-denial or are you going to indulge yourself? We face those choices all the time. Well, here's the problem. The problem is, is that I have a sinful bent in my heart. I'm a sinner. Some of the earlier Christians used the, the Latin phrase, in, 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 incurvatus in se, which means a human being is curved in on itself. Think of an armadillo that gets scared, and it, what's it do? It just wraps around itself to protect itself. It doesn't want to get hurt. Human beings are a lot like that in our spiritual life. We are curved in on ourselves. Jesus gives us this wonderful opportunity with him and through him and in him to start uncurving ourselves. Because we're all bent in. That's what sin does. It bends us in on ourselves. And we don't even know it. It just becomes normal to us. And Jesus says, I'm giving you this wonderful opportunity. When you choose me, I'm giving this opportunity to uncurl yourself. And open yourself to me and open yourself to others and open yourselves to true life, to truly finding your life, Jesus says in verses 35 and 36. You know, in Lent, during the season of Lent, if you've joined us in the season of Lent, this is a time when we as Christians, we really press into this. We press into this and, and maybe we'll even take practical steps like we're going to fast from media, or we're going to fast from food, or we're going to do some especially kind deeds that we don't normally do. And, and we, you know what we find out when we do this? We find out we're not very good at it. We find out we really struggle with it. I remember we had a res fast. Here's a confession. So res fast. I was fasting, I just want you to know, while I was at res fast. And Father Brett and Deacon Val led this beautiful meditation, and we were supposed to get this image of how, what the Lord was speaking to us, and, and then we had to share what that image was, and I had, to, I had to share with the two guys in my little small group there, well, I had this image that I couldn't get out of my head. It was a long Jimmy John's turkey club sandwich. That's all I could keep thinking about. That's what the Lord was speaking to me about. Jimmy John's. So afterwards, I got my Jimmy John's sandwich. <clears throat> you know, the first thing we find out is just that this is really hard. It's hard to uncurl ourselves. But you know, Jesus doesn't blink. He doesn't compromise. He says, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. The cross is any painful thing that you and I bear for the sake of Jesus. That's the best way to define it. Any painful thing we bear for the sake of Jesus. And the cross could be something that we do not choose. It comes to us. It could be a situation in our family, maybe a child with an illness, child with a disability, maybe a marriage that's hard. You have like interlocking issues. Maybe it's <clears throat> just some of your disposition. Maybe it's being insulted or mocked or misunderstood for your faith. And maybe in your family, you feel that way sometimes. It could be that the church hurts or disappoints you. Those are the things, the crosses we don't choose. But then there's crosses that we do choose. They don't, we go to them out of love for Jesus. For instance, we, we walk with Jesus into a suffering world. 
We, we, <clears throat> our heart breaks with the things that break the heart of God because out of love for Jesus. And we, we bear that. We don't run away from that. Maybe we give generously beyond what we think we are able. And, and, and that becomes a cross. Maybe we share Christ with somebody and it's, it's risky because we don't know how they're going to react. Maybe we, we press into racial reconciliation like some of you are doing with our uh, walk across the street with Pastor Michael Wright. We press into that and we realize that we have a lot to learn. We don't know very much about this. It's very humbling. Those are crosses we bear, we choose out of love for Jesus. Now all of us, we, we want to shirk the cross. We want to avoid it. We want to just get rid of it. And Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. The third hard thing he says in this passage is follow me, with, which I think in this context, literally a good way of thinking of this is line up behind me. Get in line behind me. That's the image in this passage. You see, in this passage, there's, <clears throat> there's a great story going on with, with Peter, Jesus' star pupil. And right before this passage, Jesus has asked people, who do people say that I am? And they give various ideas. And Peter says, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says, Peter, you nailed it. That's awesome. You nailed it. And now Jesus starts talking about, I must suffer many things and be rejected. And then eventually he's going to start getting more explicit and talk about going to the cross. And look, look, at, this, look at this passage because th this is great. And it's kind of funny. Jesus, it says, he said this plainly. He's just laying it out there, very direct. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I love that. The, the word there is used of a, like a superior person, a wealthier person, coming around alongside of like a poor little person and sort of trying to help them out. So I imagine it was maybe something like this. Jesus, or Peter pulls him aside, puts his arm around him and says, Jesus, man, you got to get a grip. This is, you're, you're not practicing self-care. You got to align your mission with your vision and your values, okay? You can't be talking about suffering. The son of man doesn't do that kind of stuff. You need to get away, take a break or something, but you're ready to snap. And apparently this went on for a while because he began to rebuke him. And then verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. That is sobering. Here's a guy who just nailed it spiritually and now he's acting like Satan. Wow. It's a good reminder never to get overconfident in our spiritual achievement. Get behind me, Satan. This is demonic. He's not like possessed by a demon, but he's acting. He's got the mindset of Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He rebukes him. What a serious rebuke and he says get behind me get in line behind me there's an order there's a lineup here and your spot <clears throat> as a disciple is behind me you know, <clears throat> you know what that's like you go to the grocery store and you're standing in line or you're waiting to get into a movie 
or you're waiting at the airport to check your luggage, you got the line, everybody's in line, and somebody just like cuts up to the front, and you're like, hey, there's an order to this line, you don't belong there, you belong behind me. Well, Jesus is telling Peter, there's an order here, Peter, there's a line. I'm at the front of the line, you're not. So get behind me, Satan, he says. You know, <clears throat> being a Christian is living a life of increasingly lining up behind Jesus. What does it mean for me today in this situation that I'm facing, in this relationship, in this desire, in this position, what would it mean for me to line up behind Jesus? What would that mean? Let me tell you a Chris Kelly story, a recent one, because we're still friends. He's still a beekeeper on the east end of Long Island. So he had um, eight apiaries, little bee houses, that were destroyed by vandals. <clears throat> you know, we have a crisis in the world because there's really a crisis of lack of bees. Bees are dying, and nobody can seem to figure out why. It's actually an, like an international problem. So Chris cares about this, and, and he cares about his bees. He really likes his bees. So, like, why would you destroy eight apiaries? He was, like, infuriated. He wanted to get revenge. He wanted to find out who these people were and punish them. But he asked the question, what would it mean to line up behind Jesus? And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive these people, whoever they were. I'm going to come to a point of forgiveness. might not feel it right now, but I'm going to work towards forgiveness with the Lord. And I am going to donate eight new, I think they're called nooks, which is like a bee apiary starter kit. I'm going to donate eight of them just to various places on Long Island. And he was interviewed by the local paper. He talked about his faith in Jesus. He talked about how he's forgiving those, and he talked about this donation. He became a local celebrity. That's what it meant for him to line up behind Jesus. What would that mean for you? A Lent is a time when we examine ourselves and we ask, how is Jesus asking me now in my life to line up behind him? So there's three hard things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But here's the genius and the radical newness of Jesus. Jesus does not just say, do the hard things. He says, do the hard things with me, and in me, and through me, and for me, out of love for me, out of response. So I, have this, I had this imaginary conversation with Jesus. This is how it looks. Here's Jesus. He says, he tells me, Matt, do the hard stuff. Do the hard stuff. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. I say, can we compromise? Can you meet me halfway? Jesus says, no. I say, can I get a second opinion? Can I ask God the Father? Jesus says, have you heard of the Trinity? We work together. <clears throat> I say, 
that's really hard. Jesus says, I know. You want some help? And I say, yeah. What would that look like? Jesus says, how about if you do it, you live in me, I live in you, we do it together. I say, yeah, I'm interested. Jesus gives us a little hint of that in this gospel reading. Now the rest of the New Testament will make it in places much more explicit. But notice this, notice what Jesus is doing in this passage. So in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Not just that he will suffer, or he might suffer, but he must suffer many things. He's talking about the cross eventually, but he's talking about his whole life. He's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about his whole life of obedience. And he must be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. It'd be a horrible thing for a, a, a Jewish person in an honor and shame culture to be rejected by your elders it would be horrible. And be killed. And after three days, rise again. Two more times, Jesus will get really explicit about this. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross. He's talking about his death on the cross. Why must he do this? He doesn't have to. He's God. He doesn't have to do this. There's no compulsion. But in a sense, he does because that's what a loving God does. That's who God is from all eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pouring out love within God himself and then pouring out love to us. That's what he does. So in a way, he must do this. He must rescue sinners from their own curled in upon themselves. He must enter into the world suffering and pain. He must come near and not stay detached. He must bear our sins on his body on the cross until there's no sorrow that he has not known. There's no grief he has not borne. There is no sin he is not willing to forgive. There is no sinner he is not able to rescue. That's why he must do this. Do you see what is happening here? I got some help from another pastor with this, but, but I, I love this. He says this, that true love is a relationship with both parties giving and taking and receiving. So if you're in a, in a marriage or if you're in a friendship, it, you, you adjust to each other. You give, he or she gives, you give and you take. And have you ever been in a relationship where it's just one way? It's just all one way. You feel kind of used, you feel kind of resentful. You know, I think deep down, sometimes people have that fear of God. That it's like one way. God is worthy, God is great, we should worship God, we should give up for God, we should deny for God. Jesus is not that way at all. This is the radical freshness and newness of Christianity. In Christianity, God, in the person of Jesus, says, my whole life, I will adjust to you. I will become vulnerable. I will lose my glory. I will sacrifice for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Christianity is the only religion in which God gave up his freedom in a sense, in Jesus, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So rather than you must, you must, you must, it starts with I must. I must do this for you. 
and then you can do it for me. When that begins to sink in, it melts your heart. It transforms you. I read this fascinating story from uh, an article that was in Christianity Today that was asking the question from a book by a couple of scholars, a couple of historians, why did black slaves in America adopt the religion of their slave masters? Now, the article goes on to say they didn't just adopt it, they transformed it. They made it their own. And you can see this in African-American churches all around the country today, which are many strong and vibrant and vile. But why, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just reject it wholesale? And here's what these two scholars said, and I quote, they said, they fell in love with the God of the Bible. In Christ, they found salvation from their sins and reconciliation. And not just an otherworldly God, but a here and now God who cared for the oppressed. They also found in Jesus a suffering Savior whose life and struggles paralleled their own. They fell in love with Jesus. That, my friends, is the key to what motivates us to obey Jesus. This is revolutionary. It starts from the inside out. There's a theologian named Julie Canlis, and she puts it this way. The mission of Jesus is to grab hold of us from within, heal us, recreate us, and reorient us back to the Father. That's what Chris Kelly did for us. He grabbed hold of us from within, and we wanted to do it. Now, in Lent, we press into this. This is a time when we especially press into this. We tell Jesus, okay, you gave all chips were in from you. I'm, I'm putting all my chips in. I don't know what that would mean, Lord. I don't know how to do that, but I want to put all chips in. I'm not going to back away. If you need to rebuke me like you rebuked Peter, if you need to tell me to get in line, tell me, Jesus. I'm open. I am wide open. I want to line up behind you even when it's hard. But just as much, maybe even more so, we press in to the love of Jesus, our union with Jesus, that we're not just doing hard things. We're doing them with him and in him and through him and out of love for him. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.